to the Mastering College Podcast, a guide to landing your dream job. I'm your host, Daniel Botero, and my goal is to help you take away that fear of graduating without a job and instead teach you how to land your dream job. Welcome, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. Today, I have a good friend of mine, Aaron Solano. Aaron and I went to school together at the University of Central Florida. We were both part of the professional selling program. And in that group of 30 individuals that are in the program a year, I always thought and still think Aaron was one of the sharpest ones in the group. And so it's very, very exciting for me to have Aaron be part of the podcast today because he's just a wealth of knowledge. And the way that Aaron thinks and the way he thinks outside the box is something that I really wanted to bring into the podcast because I know that it was going to add a lot of value to you. So without further ado, I have Aaron with me. Aaron, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing well. Appreciate the invite. Enjoy this and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Aaron, so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you currently do now? Yep, so I'll give a high view of that. And um, so, first off, uh, Florida native, grew up Jacksonville, uh, went to UCF, started a career focused on business when I was there, changed my major a few times, and like Daniel said, ended up in the marketing and sales program. I uh, truly wanted to get involved with some larger companies at the point. And uh, I came from an entrepreneurial background in my family with my dad, and then my mom uh, was a nurse her whole life, so I saw those things. So for me, um, going to school was a big thing, and that was a big step for me. But uh, career-wise, making the decision to go into sales, I saw that a lot of entry-level jobs were sales-based, so I knew that I needed an advantage somehow coming out. And also, I went into school in 2008 in a college, and so I saw the crash and saw that time of life that a lot of people were losing jobs. So I know there was more competition than just students at that point. It was everyone else looking for a job at the same time. So I knew I had something that I had to find a way to just say that, hey, I went the extra mile. This is something that I'm different than most people. So I decided to join the sales program from there. I knew I wanted to go into medical sales or pharmaceutical sales at first because it just sounded like I was going to make a lot of money, and I chased the dollar sign right away. Um, I saw people in it. I grew up around it. Like I said, my family's been around that business. So for me, coming out of UCF, I wanted a challenge. Uh, I knew I liked the startup side, so I actually, the way I analyzed it is I went the complete opposite way. I went with a Fortune 500 company to prove to myself that I would end up working for a startup or uh, early stage company. So I tried the big company first. And then from there, I went back and um, decided that, yeah, it wasn't a good fit for me and went into the pharmaceutical side with a startup company, grew that for about a year, and then quickly transitioned into the technology side. I saw technology as a great opportunity to be able to grow as a different industry at that point. Uh, A lot of investing was occurring there. And so that really intrigued me. And from there, I ended up doing um, going in and getting my MBA going back to school, getting uh, a quick start into the tech side by just being, I guess you could say, just tossed in the fire for it and and figuring out, worked for a local startup company for about a year and then decided to start my own company and did that for a little little bit over a year and then got in on the investment side and started working with a local venture capital group. We invest throughout the whole nation as well as run a venture capital fund for the state of Florida itself. 
So that's a quick overview, high review, happy to dive in deeper into each of those sides. Uh, but that's a little bit of my background and uh, plenty of more details on there to be found. All right. So what we're, what you shared a lot. So what we're going to do is um, let's dive into, we're going to start with the end in mind. So we're going to start about a little bit more of what you do now. And then we're going to work backwards and we're going to go back to what, how you were as a student and what experiences did you go through that led to the job that you have now. All okay. right. So right now, um, what is the name of the company? What is the role that you do and kind of what is your day to day and how is this, you know, your dream job or a job that you really enjoy? Yeah, so right now I'm with Arsenal. Uh, it's a venture capital group, like I said, locally, but uh, we invest throughout the whole U.S. And I'm an associate there. So I handle a lot of the due diligence, looking into companies that we invest in, making sure that it's a correct investment and opportunity uh, for us to be able to help them in the first place. But then second place, be able to grow them to be able to maybe have an acquisition or an IPO uh, for that company. And as many people see, Silicon Valley is a big industry for that. Um, but over here on the East Coast, this is a great opportunity for me to be able to be a part of this. And the one thing I love about it is never the same thing. Um, so I could be doing financial analysis on a Monday. Tuesday, I could have coffee meetings with entrepreneurs all day. Wednesday, I could have a strategy session with one of our portfolio companies. Thursday, I could be in board meetings. And then Friday, who knows what's going on. I could be helping out with our marketing strategy as a firm as a whole. So the reason why I love it so much is that I'm not doing the same day to day. And as Let's tell more of my story. You'll see why I, I can't do the same thing over and over again. Um, but those are the exciting parts to me is that every day I show up, I know somewhat what's about to happen, but there's always some new things that get added in. It's just a huge learning experience for me every single day. I mean, I, from knowing you, I've, I've never, I can never think of a better job that fits your personality and what you love to do uh, to the point that you are, you know, with a great company have the ability to invest and help other entrepreneurs. I'm sure that you can relate to as you've been an entrepreneur yourself and be able to help with the strategy and the growth plans of a company. So obviously all that to be able to do what you currently do now, you had it, had to learn and have different experiences. So let's start with, you know, your time in, in college. Um, you said you changed uh, major a couple of times. So what was your original major? How did that change? Let's walk, walk us through your college career? Yeah, I, I came in and I wanted to be management major. I wanted to manage. I, I thought that I enjoyed interacting with people and helping teams build, but I, I saw it in a different light at that point. I mean, just minimal experience didn't give me good expression of what the actual day-to-day -day was, but I wanted to be management. Then I had a realization to myself, who's going to hire a 21-year-old manager out of college to come manage a team of five to 10 with people that are probably twice my age at that point. So then I decided that I wanted just to do general business. I just wanted to cover everything because I knew I liked a lot of the pieces of all different areas. And at that point I was like, well, if I don't general, if I just generalize, and this is how my mind works, not to say this is the perfect yeah. path, but in my mind I was like, well, then I'm going to be good at kind of a little bit of things. I'm not really good in one specific area. So then that's when I started finding the sales program and I met a few people uh, ending my sophomore year that were already in that program and to see the caliber of people that were coming out of there and their opportunities compared to other people that were just going through a general business route, not to say that's the wrong thing again, but I saw such a competitive advantage that that's why I chose. I just switched to marketing. I truly, marketing wasn't the big thing for me, but at that point you had to be a marketing major to get into sales. So I went to... Um, the academic office, switched my majors, got the classes set up, 
stayed that summer semester, knocked out a few courses to get on, on course with everything else, and then just pursued that whole piece and uh, came out with that marketing and sales degree. And so you did the marketing and sales degree, and what were some of the companies that you had uh, had to make an option? Because I know, if I remember correctly, a lot of the corporate sponsors were trying to recruit you. So I know you were very heavily recruited. Um, so tell me a little bit about some of, some of your experience as a student that was recruited by other companies to, I mean, I know they won you and dine you, my friend. I remember. <laughs> I remember. Um, and so why did you decide to do what you did? And then how, and let's start going towards the, the earlier years after college. Yeah, I, uh, I, my biggest thing was I didn't want to be over-promised something. And so a lot of people that were coming in and doing the whining and dining for me were, were selling me a big dream. And uh, I guess maybe my heart wasn't behind it that I didn't truly believe that I was going to be able to get those things stated to me. Yeah. Um, and so I met with all these people. I love meeting with all of them. They were great employers. They were great opportunities. And the funny thing is I actually went with the company that was not a corporate sponsor of the sales program. I met them at the National Collegiate Sales Competition. And with that, um, it was just genuine. It was something that I saw as a challenge. I was meeting, I had the opportunity to meet with CFOs and CEOs of hospitals and be able to do financial audits for them. And that was my role as that uh, associate for that company at the time and being able to do that. So the whining and dining was fun, but I think also what you need to do is know who you are specifically and understand what you really want. And because um, people can sell you something no, no matter what. Remember, you're interviewing for a sales job, you're going to get sold on it. Um, so for me, that was, that was a big thing is to see who was genuine about it, but then also did I see myself being challenged and being able to learn every single day in that role. Some of them seemed great, but it, I just didn't feel like it was going to be a challenge for me. We used to say, uh, drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a few companies in there that yeah. people have. That were like, yeah. don't drink the Kool-Aid, like do your research. Yeah. And, and that's one thing I would tell uh, the audience is always do your research mm -hmm. and try to get the answer from an person who's not biased, right? If you're asking questions to somebody who's trying to sell you to come work for your, their organization, um, that's a pretty biased answer. So uh, find out who's been there, who currently works there, that has no impact whether you join the organization or, or not, or yep. somebody that's left the organization. And the reasons why they left might not be, the re might not be a deal breaker for you, but understanding those reasons uh, is going to save you a lot of times and headaches in the future. Um, so you graduated college, um, you went and you did some, is it pharmaceutical? Was that the first company that so you I went for? So I did medical device first, sold a bunch of everything that you stuck in your arm in a hospital, a needle, IV catheter, uh, syringe, all different things like that. So I sold those uh, devices and then I made the switch to pharmaceutical side. So you went into the, you know, the, the medical the medical device, uh, pharmaceutical, so just medical sales right out of college. Um, and then from there, you is that one after you remember you won you got your MBA? No, so I did medical device, then did the pharmaceutical side. That was an yeah. early stage startup. And then I knew that I needed a transition and I needed a segue somehow to make that happen. And I always knew I was going to go get my MBA at some point. I just didn't know what time that would be in my life. And that seemed like a good transition time to be able to leverage that opportunity to say, okay, I'm switching my career path from medical and sales focus to technology and more entrepreneurial founder style of mm -hmm. uh, career path. And so the MBA was the, 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 the bridge. 
Mm-hmm. And so tell me about the, your decision to do an MBA, because as a young professional, one of the, the, once you graduate, one of the, the next questions people are always going to ask you is, are you going to go for a master's, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that since you have experience on weighing that decision. And at the end, what swayed you and why did you decide to go to Rollins? Yeah. Um, so one quick thing on the MBA side, I think that it's paramount to go get experience first and go work some places before you try to get that MBA. Because one, you go in and you get an undergrad degree, then you go straight into MBA. You still don't really know what's shaking out around you in your world, your likes, because now you're going to put more pressure on you because you have two degrees. You expect to get paid more. You expect a higher position, and yet you don't really know what you want. So you might get stuck somewhere. Um, so I highly recommend working. And then for me, uh, my decision to go back is I knew I wanted to, and I just wanted to wait until I felt like I was on the right path of I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life, or at least in industry. And that was in the tech technology, growth tech, um, and being able to be on the investment side. So Rollins has a great program. Um, I mean, I, I went to UCF in Orlando, of course, too. So I, I'll say that I, I love UCF as number one. Rollins fits in as number two, so that might get me in trouble. But um, I don't they, think you've ever admitted it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's recorded. I did on the worst spot ever. Um, but the, uh, the Rollins piece for me was it was a full-time program. I could go a year and a half as well as the network there was going to set me up for what I wanted to do uh, post-MBA. And so the people there were introducing me to different unique relationships in the city that I just wasn't able to connect or find throughout the UCF side. And, um, and also the, the program itself had an uh, entrepreneurship track. And so that helped me be able to focus more in on the entrepreneurial side and the next steps for me. Um, but I would say... The MBA as a whole, coming in with an undergrad degree in business, doing the MBA, the education side wasn't as much as a, a hardship or a struggle for me. It was pretty easy to catch on to. It was the fact that you were forced to do group work every single time. So it taught me as an entrepreneur, you have to deal with other people, different personalities. And Rollins actually makes you take personality tests before you come in. And then they just put a mush pot of all the different ones into one group. So then you have to deal with all different styles. So that was a big key takeaway for me is learning how to communicate with different style of people. Uh, but the Rollins piece that helped me out was, was definitely the network and, and getting that student ID card back so that I could just set up a bunch of coffee meetings and say, hey, I'm a student just picking your brain. I just want to sit down. It wasn't me searching for a job just yet. But then when I was ready, I already had those relationships developed. So you just mentioned at the end of this, you're talking about getting that student ID card so you can go back and using the student card. Um, I tell the students all the time about how they don't see how easy it is as a student to be able to meet with people because you're a student, that once you graduate and you're no longer a student, to meet with the same caliber of people that you have is going to take you so many years to even get to the level of those people meeting you. But as a student, people are more willing to help you. So can you elaborate more on how uh, what having the student card really means? The, the student card's like a golden ticket in my mind. Um, you can reach out on LinkedIn. Hey, we've never met before, but I'm a student at UCF. I see you're an alumni. I'd love to sit down with you, pick your brain about the career that you're on or the, the, the company you're at. And people are more willing to do that because, one, they want to give back, and, two, just being an alumni, they, they want to be able to develop the community. And people are always looking for top talent, too, so you never know what you're going to pull from that. Um, and there's going to be some people that don't respond. I get it. But the student ID card... Not to say you have to keep flashing around. I just use it as an encompassing idea. But 
people are more willing to help you out because they've been there before and they've been in that situation and they know how tough it is to figure stuff out and that they probably had one or two meetings with people and it changed their lives and they probably wish they had more during that time. So when someone reaches out to them like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to give back one, but as well as to give someone a little bit more focus and path and guidance and it doesn't have to be over the top way to reach out to people. I think LinkedIn's a great opportunity just to send a quick message and you can make lists on there of alumni. You can be able to target directly for industries. And I think for the people that are looking for that next step post-graduation, they don't know where they want to go with it, that being able just to reach out to someone in five different industries and get to be able to sit down with them and have those connections within the city, you're going to be so far ahead of most people. And also remember, and I tell a lot of people this is, when you network these people, you don't know who they know. So these people have so many different opportunities to introduce you to other people in their network that they might not be the exact fit for you, but if they're willing to sit down, ask them at the end if they have anyone else in their network that'd be willing to meet with you because you're interested in XYZ industry and that you saw that they were connected with some people over there. So it, it really opens up a lot of different areas for the students to be able to build relationships and set up maybe future careers for themselves. Yeah, I mean, you said it so great. As a student, you have to uh, use it um, and meet. And the more you talk to somebody, the more you meet with individuals, the more you're going to be able to identify what is it that you like to do and learn more about that industry. So definitely key. So let's go back. Let's talk about it. You graduated with your MBA. So what now? Yes, I'll, I'll jump up actually in between all the, the MBA stuff because I, I knew I wanted to get into venture capital and I knew I needed a transition. So two ways to get in this industry is investment banking or you start your own company. I knew I wasn't going to be able to do investment banking while at school, so I decided uh, with a fellow classmate to start a company while we were doing our full-time MBA. And um, it was frowned upon by many people, but <laughs> we, we wanted to do it and get the experience. So we launched a company. We were getting in revenue. We raised money for that company. We were able to build it. And it was an amazing learning experience because I could use the educational knowledge and make it practical at the same time. And I remember our entrepreneurial finance class, we actually got to use our own fundraising style and our term sheets uh, with the teacher. So we were getting free knowledge, basically, instead of being charged by lawyers and attorneys to read over our documents. He did it for free. It was awesome. Um, so I, I did that first because I knew I had to set a stepping stone to get into venture capital post-graduation. So that was the only way I was going to be able to do that. So it was almost a forced hand in my mind that I had to take the risk and go do it. So I mean, I basically didn't make money for a year. I put more money in to be able to support myself outside of that. And that risk paid off tenfold, not because the company sold or anything, but it got me to where I am now with the company Arsenal. And I actually met with them throughout this whole time. One, pitching them, trying to get money from them. And two, just meeting the team because I knew, I, I guess I had a, a uh, an agenda behind it that I knew one day I was going to go work for them. Yeah. And in my mind, I wanted to meet all of them. They didn't know any of that until then it popped up that one of the partners reached out and said, hey, you still interested? I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, don't worry. I've already met all the other partners. So I knew everyone there. So that's how I try to look at stuff too. I always look at stuff two, three years ahead before it actually happens to try to plan and put myself in the right position. So so I remember at a time that you, you, were at, you were working on your startup and it was actually at one point it was growing really fast. And um, well, can you share us a little bit more about what the startup was and uh, your experience? And I know in the end, it didn't work out, but the lessons that you learned, to your point, are the reasons why you have the job that you have today. So the company was called Blurtbox, and what we did was we made a 
software as a service platform for anonymous feedback to be received by hotel venues. Orange County Convention Center was one of our customers, so one of the largest convention centers in the world. Um, and what it would do is it would allow customers to be able to get feedback directly to the managers of the site, but they didn't have to attach a name, phone number, or anything to it. It actually anonymized the information, but they could have a two-way dialogue back and forth, but no information was exchanged except for the actual comments and the feedback. And so then the managers could be able to grade it based off of a sentiment score, and it would analyze the comments. If anyone was really negative, it had cuss words in it or rats or spiders, things like that, it would pop up to the top of their dashboard, so then they would be able to react to it right away. Um, and the lessons learned from that, I mean, there, there's so many. I, I still come up with different stuff constantly when I reflect on it and look back on it. Um, one of the biggest things was we, we were scrappy people. I mean, we, we would fly to New York, and then from New York, we would fly to San Fran, and then maybe we would like try to sleep into an airport or something like that, or we'd do hotels tonight for like a $50 room, and then we would try all these different things to save money. And it was actually hilarious how, how cheap we were with the way we did it. But I'm sure it, your investors were happy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the money wasn't burning as fast. Um, but what, we, what we, it taught us was it just showed that you might not know the answer right away to a problem. But if you were willing to just keep pushing and think creative, creatively, we, you would be able to find that. And I think also a big thing is we had passion behind what we did. We had some amazing top talent working for us. And... I always say this, we had an intern there that the guy was easily a $100,000 employee a year and he was working for free. And it was just because he was excited about it and wanted to learn. And he was one of the best people. I remember he, he walked to the interview from, I don't know, two miles away because the bus was down and shows up sweating. And then we asked him if we could get him a water. He's like, I'll take a coffee. And then he just chugs a hot coffee right afterwards. And we were, we were both so like just shocked, but we we're like, this is our guy. He's crazy and we love him. Um, so, so we hired him right there. But I think the big key takeaways was just knowing that you became more comfortable with the unknown. So when things didn't go your way exactly how you wanted it, you knew you had a way to change it or you just had to roll up your sleeves and get things done. Um, so for us, that was a big thing. And so now that when you are, now you're on the other side of the table and companies are trying to get you to invest in them, do you sympathize with the with the with the co-founder or the owners or the the CEOs who are pitching you? I do have some empathy in certain areas, but also I'm more strict and more understanding of. There's key phrases that founders say when they're pitching that you know that it's just a smokescreen and it's covering up something else. So I know where to dig and poke and prod, and um, and I think that's a big part of the investment side is knowing what can easily be covered up. And since I came from the sales background, and that's such the, the biggest engine of an early stage startup company is closing deals, getting revenue and growing, that maybe I pick at them a little bit more in that area than I should, but I'm able to interrogate that whole area and tell them, hey, I think you should be doing it this way, or I think you should, you're doing great over here. This is turning the numbers quickly. Um, but to say that I'm easier on them, I'll say yes sometimes, but mostly I'm harder because I, I think that some people come in expecting investment or they expect be like, hey, I'm going through a tough time. And then I look and I see what the salary they're paying themselves at their startup. And I'm like, you're not going through a tough time. Let me take all your money away and let me know what you do at the end of the day. Um, so that, that, that's a big thing too. But um, yeah, I, I can't say I'm the, I, I try to be nice, but I'm still hard on them because I, I want them to succeed, but I don't want them to think it's going to be super easy. So there's times where you turn them down, but you say, hey, work on this and come back to me later? Yeah, yeah, there's plenty that we, we have done that with. And uh, with our firm itself, we have a few different funds that we invest out of. So some companies are further down the road, $5 million in revenue already. Some are just 
peaking at one million or, or starting to look at that. And so for us, we, um, we definitely try to help them out along the way or introduce some other people that might be willing to invest in them because they have more of a expertise in that area. So, so Aaron, I know that um, this job that you have now, it's a very, very tough job to even get. For somebody, somebody out of college, for them to get a job like yours, what, what are the qualifications? I mean, what, what do you need to do? What do they need to do? So I read an article about this the other day, and I, I didn't realize how crazy it was until I read this. So you have a better chance of going to a D1 university than getting drafted into that sport that you play as a professional league than going straight from undergrad into venture capital. So it's, I think there's 2,000 positions in the whole world for this, in this space. And the turnover in it rarely happens because most people leave and go to another firm. So it's not like it actually opens. You just kind of backfill everything. Right. Um, so from the undergrad side, you're really, you go in, like I said, investment banking or work for a startup. And then that MBA is really the true piece that you need to get in or some companies will hire graduates at a MIT, Stanford, Harvard, and then sign a two-year contract and say, on this date, you will be let go because you need to go back to school to get an MBA to become, uh, be able to grow with this firm. So it's kind of like a law degree at the end of the day that if you don't have it, you're not going to practice. Um, so for people that's interested in it, I would highly recommend trying to start focusing on startups, start focusing on investments, and then not stock market in a sense, but actually company investments and then focus on when that MBA will occur, hopefully within two years of graduation. So if I look back at, at your history and, your, and what you've gone through to get to where you are now, which like I would say is your dream job and you're just mm-hmm. gonna continue to grow uh, with, with this company or even the, have a fun of your own, I can definitely see that. Um, you definitely needed to have gained the sales experience to be able to, to do that. You need to have gone the startup experience, start your own startup, gone through, get an investment, trying to grow a company. So all that had to play a part. And you lastly even said you needed to have an MBA and all that experience, you know, led to where you are now. And I think that's so fantastic. And I think it's a lesson for students to see that sometimes you can hit bumps on the road, but you it's, it's either learn or you win there's no losing and i think your story uh, definitely sheds light on that and aaron anything that you wish i would have asked you that i didn't have a chance to i would i would say one thing that i'm noticing as a trend right now is finding that perfect job right out of undergrad i think there's not always that perfect job for some people but what what job are you going to go learn the most at I think that's a big thing and that people can be able to find the perfect job through that, but have an opportunity to go learn. I think the question of that being is, do you have to find exactly where you'll be the rest of your life coming out of college and that you get it right the first time? I, I know I didn't. <laughs> so for me, it helped out on that. But that, that was a big thing for me that I think the question around that of do you need to find the perfect job right away? Now, I think you had a really great point. And I think sometimes I might guide, what I, my message might guide people the wrong way is saying, hey, you need to find your dream job right out of college. And I think I say that more of the marketing standpoint. It's easy for me to share what I'm trying to do with how to land your dream job as a one sentence mm-hmm. point of view. But I think it's really impossible or, or you would be the exception that you find your dream job right out of college. And that more, most people have seven, an average of seven different jobs in their time frame, and that number is only expected to grow as millennials that, that we jump from job to job. And I think what I want you to realize is not necessarily finding your dream job, 
but it's finding the job that's going to get you closer to your long-term goals. And if you don't know what your long-term goals is, that's where you're going to struggle and you're going to go through more obstacles and more bumps in the road. But it's start with the end in mind and then reverse engineer your career to try to say, what do I need to do that's going to help me land that dream career, that dream job? Because most of the, most of the dream jobs that you and I have in our head, are not, you're not going to get it right out of college. It's going to take you a couple of promotions. It's going to take you a lot of experience. And sometimes it's going to take you an MBA. So understand what those are and what, and what that is. And it's going to definitely increase your chances. Well, Aaron, I got one more thing for you. Um, we covered a lot and you shared a lot of great advice to the students. But if they only remember one thing, what would that be? Yeah, that, that one thing I would say is just network like crazy. It, when you don't know, networking is going to give you the solution to that. Go, go meet with people. Go talk with people. Pick people's brains. Ask them what they think about certain things. People with experience. Uh, there's difference between peers and mentors. So have people that are further down the road than you and meet with them, and they can be able to shine some light on um, what next steps or some requests or suggestions that you could have. But I think that's big. Take advantage of that. It's awkward at first. Power through it, and you're going to see how much benefit it's going to have on your life and extensive uh, further along down the road uh, once you start doing that with your network. Well, Aaron, I know that um, this advice is definitely going to help a lot of students. I truly, truly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come on the show. Uh, Thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you continue to succeed and Seeing some of those investments, man, go IP one day. So I'm sure they will be. I look forward to you giving me the opportunity to invest in one of your funds in the future. Please don't forget go. about me. Yeah, and I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thanks. See you guys in the next episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart from taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to this episode. I truly hope that you loved it as much as I enjoyed making and creating this content for you. My goal is to provide content that's going to help you master college and land your dream job. So if this helped you and if you know someone that should listen to this podcast, please, please share it with them. Nothing will make me happier than to see this podcast grow and make this community bigger so that we can help every student be able to graduate with their dream job. And I hope to see you guys in the next episode.